0: section 12 of notes of an east coast naturalist by arthur henry patterson this librivox recording is in the public domain fish notes part two deformed codfishes deformities in fishes are not of common occurrence although in the case of the cod i cannot describe them as extremely rare Having noted down such as have come under my notice, I give the records as they occur January the first eighteen ninety saw a cod measuring in length twenty six and a half inches and nineteen inches in girth at thickest part, weighing eleven and a half pounds at about ten inches from the tail. The depth was eight and a half inches that of normal examples several of which i measured at that particular part was four and a half inches the fins were unusually thick at their bases january the twentieth 1890 examined a cod so humped at the centre of the back that it looked as if it had been bent to half a right angle it was in good condition May the first eighteen ninety four met with a most extraordinary looking codfish measuring about sixteen inches in length. The upper and fore part of the head was raised and rounded in a very odd fashion, bulging out like an abnormal forehead. The snout being pointed and shortened, the lower jaw protruding at least two inches beyond it the eyes instead of being rounded were upright ovals i have seen other bulldog varieties of cod since but never a more grotesque example an exceedingly odd example was taken in january eighteen ninety nine it measured thirteen inches in length not only did the upper jaw protrude somewhat beyond the average and was moreover singularly pointed but the under jaw receded leaving a space when closed equal to half a walnut in the mouth to counteract this deformity the tongue was rounded and enlarged to the size of a marble which effectually blocked the gullet when necessary laid upon its back the fish was curiously shark-like about the mouth it was figured in the morning leader of the twenty fourth of january a codling brought to me in october nineteen o three stunted and thick-set deserves mention stunted cods are on dissection generally found to have the anterior portion of the vertebra closely coalesced but in this instance the malformation was so striking at both ends of it that it had very much the appearance of a roach or bream the vertebrae on examination proved to have had this process well defined at each end of it the fish was only one foot in length of this the head to the edge of the gill covers occupied fully one-third interesting finds. I know of no spot so interesting to the naturalist as the tide mark at the seaside. Just where the highest billow reached will often be found deposited a great variety of nature's trifles, seaweed usually predominating. There are times, of course, when the tide mark is barren, so much so, indeed, that it is difficult to locate it at others every step brings the rambler to some or several objects of interest westerly winds in summer are responsible for the drawing up of much seaweed of the finer kinds an easterly and northerly gale flings ashore the brown weeds the tangle foosie and the ribbon weed various mollusca and crustacea come ashore with the east winds a southerly wind brings nothing in the finer days when the draw netters are at work the probabilities of finding higher forms of life are greater the following notes taken verbatim from my diary may be worthy of perusal april the 6 1900 strolled this afternoon to the harbour mouth two lots of draw-netters at work in quest of smelts of which thirty were taken in one haul other fishes were a salmon trout plenty of pogs small herrings flounders and whitings also a butterfish three sprats and several large viviparous blennies and sticklebacks I also noticed one small pollock, and, what most delighted me, a power cod, Gadus minutus, three and three-quarter inches in length. This is the first recorded example for Norfolk. I have seen several others since. The lengths of the various species were, whitings, four and a half inches, pollock eleven inches blennies eleven inches sprat three inches smelts from four inches to ten and a half inches april the twelfth early morning found a fish new to my list this morning namely the ocean pipefish nerophis equarius length fifteen inches the species has been recorded for the wash but it is new to yarmouth have found several others since may easily be recognized as being round and smooth as a pencil april the thirteenth great numbers of sea mice washed ashore codfish are peculiarly partial to them many empty skate barrows a number of small herrings were washing ashore running from three inches up to six and a quarter inches noticing a six and a quarter inch example to be very full i took it home and with the aid of a lens counted no less than one hundred and forty-three opossum shrimps from its moor the largest being three-fourths of an inch long and one sixteenth of an inch in diameter i found no food in any of the others when overhauling a trunk of sea-fish in october 1891 i found a fourteen-inch brill whose dorsal and anal fins ran continuously under the tail forming a complete half-circle the tail lapping over and extending beyond it, and could be lifted clear away from it. Early in October 1891, an angler or fishing frog, Lophius piscatorius, twelve inches in length, was taken out of the pocket of a relative exactly two and a half times its own length. The largest angler I ever saw was unceremoniously wheeled to my office in june eighteen ninety seven it weighed quite a hundredweight i advised the men who brought it to exhibit it around the town and invest their takings in a better concern than the public-house a very curious place came to hand in april eighteen ninety eight it measured eleven inches across the underside quite in the centre of its length and at right angles to the surrounding fins ran a supplementary fin there were three fin rays towards either margin each connected by membrane the rayless centre third being also connected by the web the fin was quite free to work but it must have been a greater nuisance than help in its possessors peregrinations hardly so handicapped was a spotted skate raya maculata about the size of an ordinary dinner plate that had an extra fin the size of a business envelope in the centre of its upper side and at right angles to it it was perfectly rayed but had a tendency to fall to one side and thus conveniently to get out of the way of obstacles during the progress of its wearer a stunted herring was brought to the fish wharf in february eighteen ninety nine its length was six and three-quarter inches and the depth two inches for this depth it should at least have been ten inches long the normal length of a longshore herring it was plump and contained a well-developed row muller's top-knot the average shrimper will not trouble himself much with regard to what he designates curios every shrimper has some yarn or other to tell about taking a fish He never saw the likes of afore but with this and a vague useless and mostly misleading description the matter usually ends unless he reproachfully adds that i laid it aside for you but you didn't come so i hulled it overboard and it is almost useless to try and persuade a shrimper to preserve for inspection any curious species unless he thinks he can get a price for it altogether beyond its value strictly speaking a rare fish is valueless and will remain so until stuffed fishes are as attractive to the public as stuffed birds on the eleventh of june 1890 i saw a shrimper mending his net by the side of the bure my query as to whether anything curious had been got of late elicited the fact that a pal had that very morning shown him a rummy flat fish and had probably taken it home i hunted up the catcher who said he had chucked it into the back yard whither at my request he went and fortunately found the fish intact having as by a miracle escaped the prowling cats that look after the refuse fish of their shrimper neighbour on sight i saw it was muller's top knot, zeugopterus punilatus it measured seven and a half inches in length width four and a half inches and seven-eighths of an inch in thickness it being the first for the county and in remarkably good condition i dispatched it to norwich museum where it is now i have seen three or four others since ekstrom's topknot far more fortunate was i in the case of the first and so far only known appearance on the norfolk coast of the rare ekstrom's topknot unimaculatus this fish was taken in april 1902 by a friendly shrimper living some distance from my home who having run a bit of cotton through its mouth hung it over his mantelpiece where it remained for a number of weeks waiting for me happening to pass his house in september when on my way to a deceased friend's funeral he called me in and graciously handed it me it was six inches long and as dry as a chip but on being forwarded to mr boulanger my finding was immediately confirmed called as umpire on the thirteenth of june nineteen hundred i had just comfortably settled in bed and the clock had struck twelve when suddenly a cart drove up to the front door and a rousing knock called me from the land of dreams slipping downstairs hardly dressed i opened the door when three big fellows one a farmer the others connected with the fishing business stumped in and laid a large fish on the table they said they had come to me for an identification of the fish Could I tell them? Was it a rock salmon? What was it? The fishermen didn't know. I informed them it was a full grown pollock. It weighed twenty pounds and was three feet long. There you are, said one fellow to the others. I've won the bet. I said it wasn't a rock salmon. Noisily thanking me, they bundled out and went away how much money changed hands i do not know they were all sporting men of a sort and i had unwittingly been party to a bet the unexpected happens i went on board a fishing smack in june 1890 and in a large tub found twenty-two little monkfish squatina vulgaris swimming about contentedly enough in translucent water taken out at sea the mother of this large family had been captured off the dogger bank and when shot on to the deck gave birth to them the interested fishermen transferring them immediately to this improvised aquarium the adult fish which died soon after was forty nine inches in length she was of a light sandy hue, the little ones being a grey colour spotted minutely with white and brown. Two that I purchased are now in Norwich Museum. They are eleven inches in length. On a warm sunny afternoon in July nineteen hundred, the river was alive with whitebait or immature herrings, which flashed about like a myriad living strips of burnished silver the eels in the river were hungry and many to the surprise of those who witnessed it left their muddy haunts below and came to the surface dashing hither and thither after the savoury little morsels in october 1890 a six-inch smelt either to escape some pursuer or because stung by sewerage flung itself quite out of the water and landed in the well of my punt where it remained until i could attend to it an extraordinary invasion of codlings took place in october eighteen ninety when day after day thousands came up the air and swarmed in Braden they were ravenously on feed and afforded some marvellous sport every available boat being requisitioned they bit at anything and did not usually wait for the bait to sink beneath the surface two and three at a time would immolate themselves and folk staggered home under loads they did not seem to know what to do with I was out of work at the time and kept my small family well supplied wearied them in fact with fish on a frosty january morning in 1891 i pulled up a lump of ice to which some ditch weeds adhered to my surprise i saw a colony of three spined sticklebacks seemingly as much taken aback as i was I am inclined to think that this species in intensely cold weather becomes semi-dormant, but whether, when the whole body of water becomes frozen throughout, the hardy little fellow gets mixed up in the nip and thaws into life again when the ice melts, I cannot say. It would be interesting to settle this matter. April 1891 was a busy month for those in the fish line the shrimp lads were eagerly looking out for curious specimens and amongst a considerable amount of useless and common species i received the following april the sixth bubalis cottus bubalis a beautiful living example brought me in a pickle bottle in this condition i was desirous of sending it to norwich accordingly attaching a bit of rag to the top and a label to the neck i hurried with it to the railway station the clerk was sorely puzzled as to the way the parcel should be entered fish animal or what at length he described it as glass with care and under that heading it went. This fish was the first of the species recorded for Yarmouth. April the 11th. Almost as rare here was a pretty little example of the lesser fork beard. Raniceps trifurcus. Brought me. Length, two and three-quarter inches. April the 13th. Stepping on board a shrimp boat to see a curio preserved for me, I was delighted to find it a two spotted goby, Gobius ruth and sparry, new to my list and probably the second of its species for the county. Curiously enough, two others were brought me before the eighteenth. Some years ago, there lived in the town a coal hawker who was considered to be a little bit odd in fact had as they termed it a screw loose somewhere he did not always act wisely as was shown one day when in a ramble along the beach he saw a large conger lying on a sandbank, apparently dead i am not so sure as to the time of the year but it is not rare in a very severe weather congers to wash ashore dead or helpless their bladders having been so distended by the action of the frost that it is impossible for them to control its functions when tossed about by the keen easterly winds and boisterous waves they at length are cast upon the sands our friend espying the fish between which and himself was an extensive and deep pool or dock immediately pulled off his clothes and fastening a long garter to his neck swam over it was the matter of a few minutes for him to attach the loose end of the garter to the tail of the fish and then with a quick movement to throw it with himself into the water and attempt to recross the dock the moment the fish felt himself in his native element again he began to struggle and with returning strength he soon became master of the situation pulling the poor fellow helplessly here and there and under and almost drowning him his yells however brought assistance when spluttering and protesting he and his captive were landed in safety a twenty inch eel made a great mistake respecting its swallowing capacities in september eighteen ninety eight it was found dead upon the surface of a broad choked by a water-vole it had attempted to devour accepting the theory that the double turbot swims edgeways up one would naturally expect any other double flatfish to do the same but the fact of my spearing with a butt pick a double flounder in may 1900 makes the exception which they say proves the rule this the only double flounder i ever saw was fairly struck by the pictine through the centre of it the notch and the stationary eye were marked characteristics of this example stopping a fish hawker in the street in the spring of nineteen o one i examined the contents of his barrow noticing the tail of a fish protruding from the mouth of another i pulled it out and to my surprise discovered it was a whiting seven and three-quarter inches long its devourer also a whiting was but nine and a half inches long in june 1901 a passer-by noticed some strange fish floundering about near the quayside piles reaching down one of the life poles kept by the riverside he succeeded in gaffing a very fair-sized anglerfish, two feet in length some years ago old jack gibbs a noted braidener when picking for eels struck a conger the lively creature which weighed thirteen and a half pounds gave him a scare and afterwards some warm work before he managed to get it into his boat a twenty six pounds conger also forgetting itself so far as to visit braden was enclosed in a smelt net and afforded two men half an hour's lively diversion before being finally settled some sole notes i saw an eleven inch sole in august 1890 that was minus the caudal fin where the tail should be was a decidedly v-shaped inlet, the dorsal and anal fins rounding off and meeting like two sections of a scalloped curtain. Only once did I meet with a left-handed sole, that is, a sole with the mouth opening towards the dorsal fin instead of the anal fin. This variation is, I believe, extremely rare. A queerly shaped sole attracted my attention on the twenty ninth of October eighteen ninety one. It was curiously shortened and slightly wider than a sole of normal shape its own length. What was most curious about it was the peculiarly rounded posterior end. The dorsal and anal fins coming round in two curves joined the base of the tail in february eighteen ninety five a singularly stunted sole was brought in it measured seven and a quarter inches in length for a width across of four and three-quarter inches it was nearly a third less than the normal length another stunted individual came to hand in january eighteen ninety eight its length was eleven and a half inches width six inches on the 19th of september 1899 a 10 inch sole was exposed for sale in the town the upper surface of it save what might be roughly termed the cheek of the fish was perfectly white even to the extremities of the fins thrown up by the sea one of the most beautiful and rare of british fishes is the kingfish or opa zeus luna its colours are resplendent although its shape is not comely it being an exceedingly clumsily built creature i was passing along the street on the eighteenth of october eighteen ninety one when i saw a group of persons examining some object on a countryman's cart joining them i found a splendid example of this fish that had been toppled ashore the day before after a heavy gale its length was thirty-eight inches girth forty-one inches and its weight fifty-one pounds the rich colours of blue vermilion and green spotted with white made it a creature of conspicuous beauty which the scimitar-shaped dorsal and ventral fins and the forked tail of richest crimson tended to intensify it had evidently found itself astray amongst the sand-banks and there got knocked about until exhausted when it was finally washed ashore at Caister it was a toss-up with the coastguardsman who saw it come ashore whether he should throw it on a manure heap but being overruled by the advice of his friends he drove it to the fish wharf where after a brisk competition it was knocked down to a local fish merchant for two pounds and was preserved for him two or three others only are recorded for this locality each of them found on the beach after severe gales there were three small herrings washed up at the tide mark on the second of april eighteen ninety two respectively measuring three inches five inches and seven inches in length i was interested in the appearance of the second fish and to my surprise found a fairly well developed row within it in october 1894 some blasting operations took place on a submerged wreck the explosions killed several fishes which floated ashore the best find i made was a twenty eight pounds cod and having no other means of carrying it i strung it on the barrel of my gun by running it under the gill cover and out at the mouth and so managed to carry home a very interesting capture variations in colour in november eighteen ninety a place laying on a fish slab caught my attention it is a common practice for fishmongers to lay place out for sale the under side up just as they lay soles in pairs and smear dabs the right side up The place in question had a patch of greenish-brown, the colour of the upper surface, on the tail end, reaching upwards one-fourth of the length of the fish. There were two separate spots of this colour, and wherever this discolouration obtained, spots exactly corresponding with those on the upper surface were present. This is invariably the case in place so marked wherever the blotchings may be this applies even to the fins i have observed that in under-coloured examples that are lighter tinted such as dirty cream or light grey they are minus the spots an albino brill in february 1892 I obtained a perfectly albino variety of the common brill, rhombus levis. The upper surface was entirely white, like the underside, with the exception of the extreme edges of the surrounding fins, which merged into a yellowish grey. When fresh, the fish had a pretty appearance the thin smooth polished upper surface looking almost like porcelain whilst at the base of the fins a metallic pink was observable in certain lights around the eyes were irregular rings of an orange tint giving the fish a red-eyed look the irides of the eyes were of the normal colour the fish measured 15 inches in length an albino turbot i purchased and forwarded to the british museum on the 1st of march 1894 a 14 inch white turbot the only attempt at coloration was a narrow rim of gray around the eyes and a slight tint here and there on the fins the whole upper surface was smooth and altogether bare of the spiny processes so conspicuously adorning the fish of normal coloration another fifteen inch example of pure white turbot occurred on the twenty-fifth of may eighteen ninety seven an albino eel a fifteen inch sharp-nosed eel of a cream white colour was taken in the bure early in june eighteen ninety five it was as thick as one's thumb there was a very small patch of the normal colour in the centre of the top of the head the lips were pink and a faint tinge of pink was observable upon the dorsal and anal fins a fifteen inch mackerel landed on the fish wharf on the fifteenth of july eighteen ninety seven had its deep blue back entirely whole coloured the absence of stripes giving it a most curious appearance i obtained one almost as large in july nineteen o one several place averaging twenty inches in length taken in november 1897 and probably all captured in the same locality were distinguished by large irregular white patches on the upper surface the red spots being wanting wherever the normal color was absent a smeared dab ten inches long which i saw on the 20th of october 1902 whilst being of the normal color had the whole of the fins encircling it entirely white a singularly pretty place was brought in in february nineteen o two. the fore-half of the upper surface was of the usual colour and spotted red the posterior portion was white with here and there the slightest tinge of brown in spots singularly enough wherever a dash of brown appeared a red spot centered it the fins were reddish in hue and the tail decidedly yellow with red lines marking the rays the most beautifully colored flatfish i have yet met with was obtained on the 13th of october 1902 it was a 10 inch smeared dab microcephalus. the posterior half was of the normal grey-brown colour but the ground colour of the anterior portion was white blotched here and there with large spots of vermilion amid a sprinkling of small brown dots around the eyes were rings of red the right pectoral fin was white the ventrals also, while the dorsal and anal fins, for half their length, were a pinkish white, the remaining portions being brown. A thornback ray with the upper surface perfectly white was taken in a shrimp net off shore in August nineteen o three. It equaled in size a dinner plate. End of section twelve.